I am wondering, has there ever been a time in your life when God did not show up in ways that you expected? Is anyone willing to be honest this morning that God did not show up in ways that you expected? And you would say, yeah, in my life that's true. There have been times in my life God did not show up in ways that I expected. I'm going to take you to a story today that at first reading bothers me. The reaction of God bothers me. You see, we encounter a mother in this story who is desperate. She's at the end of her rope. She's flat on her back, but yet somehow still on her feet, pursuing the answer because she's searching, she's seeking, she's longing for her child to be made well. And so we find her in this story, and we don't know why what is happening to her family is happening to her family. We don't know why she is in this position that she is in with her daughter. We want to know immediately whose fault it is. What happened? Is there a guilty human party here? Maybe, but that doesn't seem to be the point. The focus of this story is the love of a mother, the mercy of God, and an all-sufficient savior. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. You see, we want to know why. Why is it that this is happening? Why are we going through this? It's a human tendency. We want to make meaning. Why is this going down like this? We repeat the stories and events of our lives. We forget the reality. And that is this, that there is pain in this world. Joy, yes. Love, indeed. Thriving, absolutely. But also pain. There is struggle. There is challenge. And if you find yourself in a place of challenge and struggle this morning, I'm here to remind you a word from the Lord that it's not that you did something wrong. It's not that your faith isn't good enough. You see, sometimes people read this story and see persistence and say, see, if you come to God in the right way, if you just keep coming, this is what this means. But your suffering and your challenge and your struggle, the prayer that seems unanswered, the silence of God in your life is not your fault. We live in a struggle that we call the great controversy. And that means that there is suffering and that there is pain. So in this story, especially this story that we're going through, we find a God who doesn't always show up in the way that we want and in the timing that we desire. Joseph somehow, miraculously, was able to see in his life that even when he went through all of that with his brothers, even when he got thrown into the pit, even when he was in Potiphar's house and then he got thrown into the prison and then eventually made it to the palace, he was somehow able to say it was for the saving of lives that God led me here. But he didn't necessarily know it all the way through the process. And so in our lives, we have these experiences, these times when we don't know what God is doing. So in this story, we see God acting in unexpected ways. 
Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. I invite you there. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 28. And it says this. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and she knelt down before him and said, Lord, help me. He said, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Is anyone else bothered by this passage? Are you really listening? You've heard it too much, huh? Did you hear what Jesus said? Did you hear how Jesus reacted? This woman, this mother, she is a Greek, a Syrophoenician woman, and it also labels her a Canaanite woman. Do you remember those Canaanites? This term has a lot of baggage for the Israelites, idol-worshipping enemies of Israel that were there during the invasion when they were coming into the Promised Land, the conquest that period. Yet Matthew includes Canaanites in the listing of the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. So apparently Matthew is writing something here, but one of them, one of them, those people, the other, she comes up to them and starts calling out. Imagine being her for a moment. You've carried this child in your womb for nine months. You went through the excruciating pain of childbirth. You nursed her, you fed her, you changed her. You watched her grow and take her first step, say her first word, maybe even played peekaboo. We don't know what games they played, but she now joins you in chores. You do life together right alongside. She's right there beside you. And now you can't put clothes on her because she'll tear them off. Strange voices come out of her mouth. She can't eat. She can't sleep. She can't play because she's being tormented by the devil. Can you feel her anguish? Can you feel her helplessness? You look and you see a strange look in her eyes, eyes that tell you this is no ordinary sickness, no ordinary problem, no ordinary trouble. Can you imagine being that mother? I'm losing my girl. I'm losing my little girl. That feeling of complete desperation. Someone here today watching or here in person knows that desperation. You know that desperation of I'm losing my little girl, or I'm losing my little boy, or my husband, or my wife, my brother, or my sister. They're slipping away from me and I don't know what to do. 
I don't have to tell you about her journey because it's your journey, your story. You know what it's like, that helpless feeling, not sure that there's anything that you can do. She tried everything in love and devotion. This good mom searched out healing and freedom for her child. And yet, nothing had worked. That's the worst feeling as a parent or a loved one when you sit by someone's bedside and you hear the pain in their voice on the other side of the phone or you see the results of their actions and you can't save them from it. You can't reverse what has been done. Maybe this mom was about to give up hope. Maybe someone told her this is your new normal. This is just what you have to live with now. Then one day news travels to her village that there was a man coming to town. That he wasn't just any man. He was not an ordinary man, but Jesus was his name. And Jesus was helping people for whom others were unable to help. Jesus, this is what he did. It was that same Jesus who met a man whose body was withering from leprosy and he touched him and he became completely whole. This same Jesus, the one who touched the eyes of a blind man and he was able to see again. This same Jesus who a woman with 12 years flow of blood touched just the edge of his garment and she was made completely whole. This same Jesus who saw another mother's anguish and raised her son up to life. This same Jesus who spoke a word to the centurion and back home the servant was made well. This same Jesus is the one who she now seeks. This Jesus who is her last hope, the hope of a desperate mom who is seeking the wholeness and healing and freedom of her child. When she came up, the scripture says, she cried out. And in Greek, this is that she cried out continuously. She kept crying out, desperate to get his attention. She cried out, have mercy on me, son of David. I think this is the most raw prayer of humanity is have mercy a prayer that has been cried out by hospital bedsides and in battlefields and on roadsides. It's when we're at our most desperate, when we know we can do nothing else. If you wonder how you can keep standing, like the song said, I know I can make it, I know that I can stand no matter what comes my way. When you feel like you can't stand anymore, this can be your prayer, have mercy have mercy. Because you see, this woman understood something that it even took the disciples longer to figure out. That God is the source of all mercy. That this is who God is. Like the Old Testament says in Exodus chapter 33, that this is who God has determined to be. God of all mercy. And so she actually calls out, have mercy on me, son of David. Now, the second part, that son of David piece, was her declaration of knowing who Jesus was. She said, I know you're Messiah. I know that you are the one who is to sit on the throne. And the disciples don't say it till a couple chapters, uh, the next chapter, Matthew 16, actually. That's when they declare that Jesus is Messiah, but she says it now. 
You are son of David, the rightful king who sits on the throne. The humble, desperate cry of this Canaanite woman. Now, what happens after she cries out, have mercy on me? Jesus doesn't say a word. He does the exact opposite of what we think he should do. He doesn't rush to her aid. He doesn't agree to follow her home. He doesn't soothe her heart or offer words of encouragement. Jesus remains silent. Now, most Bible commentators suggest that Christ was role-playing for his disciples, that he was showing them how unfeeling and heartless and insensitive was their way as Jews with the Gentiles. And I do think Jesus was always teaching. He was always embodying this message so that his disciples could understand. But I would also say today, suggesting to you that even as Jesus was teaching his disciples, that his main concern, his primary focus, the object of his supreme regard was this mother. That he wasn't using her as an object lesson, but his lesson that he shared with the Pharisees just chapter before, where he was saying to them that you missed the heart of it. You see, the theme of mercy is all throughout Jesus' ministry. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You've forgotten my way is one of mercy. And he actually gives her voice He actually lets her now speak because he taught it and now this woman gets to be the one declaring it. He allows her to declare and speak the message of who he is. So he gives her voice and he gives her strength. He empowers her to speak the very truth that he had been trying to teach to all those who had been asking him and harassing him about what he was really about. But it's a hard thing, church, to deal with the silence of God. Even when you believe that all of it will be for the glory of God, even when you believe that in the end, yes, I do believe that all things will work together for good for those who love God, it is a hard thing. And you might be sitting in the silence of God right now where Jesus didn't answer a word. You might be right there right now. Talk to Job about the silent treatment. Everything gone, your wealth, your houses, your land, your children. He cries out to God for deliverance and chapter after chapter we hear nothing from God. Oh, this is a hard word of the Lord today. Some would say she got what she wanted because she persevered. That she kept going. But I want you to remember something important that Jesus was only there and accessible to her because Jesus made the first move. He said Jesus withdrew to this region of Tyre and Sidon. So she was only able to come to him and to fall down before his feet and to cry out because Jesus put himself in a place where she was able to find him. She heard of Jesus because Jesus already wanted to meet with her. So there's grace that has gone before you. There's mercy that was extended If you feel the desire to cry out, have mercy on me, O God, it's because God's grace has gone before you to inspire that longing to cry out. And just as real as that, God will put you in a place where you can see and witness that God is right there where you are. So right now, this invitation from her, have mercy on me. Jesus didn't change his mind 
Jesus didn't reject her first and then hear her plea because she kept persisting or she did it right in some way or some of us have this formulaic understanding of prayer that if I just do it in the right way or with the right combination, then God will hear me. God isn't changing his mind with her. He came looking for her. And so this woman who knows Jesus is Lord, who somehow knows that he is the son of David, the promised Messiah, she makes no demands, but in a pleading voice she just says, have mercy on me. Jesus answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He uses another metaphor. First he ignores her. The disciples try to shoo her away and get her to off to the side and to be silent. And then he breaks the silence only to say, I wasn't sent here for you. How must she have felt in that moment? Have you ever felt rejected by God? When your child is still away from the Lord, when you don't have enough money to pay your bills at the end of the month, when you still haven't passed and you've tried so hard, when what you long for most hasn't happened in your life, has God rejected you? Was this somehow God turning away from her? Well, we know from the scriptures that Christ came for all people, that Israel was meant to go to the Gentiles. I have blessed you, God says in Genesis 12, so that you can be a blessing. I come for all people to put their trust in me. So the woman's response, she came and knelt down before him and cried out, Lord, help me. She is undeterred. She doesn't object to God having a chosen people. She doesn't object, but she seizes this in hope. She says, I know who you are. You're a God of mercy. I know who you are. Now, the dogs of the day, and the word that you would have used for dog, they roamed around in packs and they scavenged and they were not, not someone, not something that you would have wanted. It's kind of like the high school hallway equivalent of calling someone a female dog today. Notice that the Jews said, I praise you a God that I was not born a slave, a woman, or a Gentile. That lets you know what they thought about dogs. Gentiles were called dogs. So when he uses his word, this is not the word Jesus uses. That word for dog that they prayed in that prayer, I praise you, O God, the dog that they would call Gentiles, Jesus uses a different word here. Jesus uses the word for puppy, a, a household dog. Remember, this word is never used in a pejorative sense. It means little domesticated dog, pet dog. It, the word is one of endearment, a household pet that you dote on and desire to meet their needs. Like my neighbor in Philadelphia whose dog had more sweaters than I had. No joke. Not even joking. That dog was doted on and loved and that's maybe why this woman doesn't get offended at all. Instead, it's like she gets this, this interplay that Jesus is having with her. She's understanding that he is giving her voice and that, that she then responds. She says to Jesus in more boldness than what she had before, you call me a pet dog and I'm okay with that because pet dogs have a master. 
The ones who are scavenging out and they're, they're looking for food, but pet dogs, they know they'll be fed. Household dogs are loved. And I know then that I am entitled to something at the table. It's like Paul who says in 1 Corinthians, he says in this verse, he says that he is the least among all the apostles. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, for I am the least of all the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. And he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. He uses all these things and she's like, call me a, a household dog but at least I'm in the house of God and I know that your mercy is enough. Mercy might begin with the people of Israel, but I know that there's an overflow for all of us. She's saying, if you're saying that I am in the house, that means there's something for me because I'm in your house and that means that I have a master. I am yours. In Mark chapter 7, this parallel story in these synoptic gospels that shows first, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. But first indicates that it's just a not yet. I'm pouring into these disciples and these people now and they are meant to reach the whole world. I'm doing this first. But you know, there's enough for everyone. Jesus says. But this woman acknowledges that he is her only hope and that just a crumb of attention from Jesus is sufficient to meet her need. This word in Greek is a small crumb, the smallest particle. She said, this is enough from you. I realize, Jesus, that a crumb from you is better than a full meal anywhere else. All I need is a little bit. I know you have all the power. Jesus, just a little crumb, the smallest crumb, and my daughter can be made whole. Look at her faith. Look at how Jesus is giving her the opportunity to boldly declare who he is. You are the son of David. You are the rightful one on the throne. You are the Messiah. And then, why does he commend her faith? Because she says, I believe that not only are you a God of mercy, but your kingdom activity in the world and your mercy extends to even me, and I take hold of it. That is what faith is, to cry out, have mercy on me, God, and to believe that God's mercy is for you. That's faith. So she calls out, have mercy on me, and God answers her. This God whose power is enough to speak to rocks and water gushes forth, to hold back water so people can be set free. This God that provides manna from heaven to eat. He, she says, I know you, God of mercy, and your power is enough. Just a crumb from you, and I'll have all that I need. She sees Jesus for who he really is. And Jesus commends her faith. Now, in this very section, one commentator brings up the tempering that happens when we are put into the fire. And that there's this impurity that's washed from our lives. This faith is not proven true by answered prayer, but by unanswered prayer that does not make us give up on God. It's like what First Peter says, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Some of you are in the fire. Some of you are in the tempering when the impurities are being burned away. What she was commended for was that she believed that God's mercy was enough for her. And she reached out after it. Now, I wish there was a really, really neat conclusion to this. But I felt impressed strongly to leave it at this. Because in our lives, and you know this is true, it's not all neatly tied up with a bow on top. The struggle is there. And her journey with God and the way that she faced this God healed her. God answered the prayer and her daughter was made whole. But it's, it's not all neat. There was struggle. There was pain. And so if you find yourself going through the fire being refined right now, I offer you just these words. Cry out. Have mercy on me. And God's power, even a crumb, even the smallest bit, is more than enough. Because what we find out is what we really needed was to be in the very presence of God.